Welcome back to Read and Succeed. I'm your host, Dave Campbell, here on your community radio station, 106.5 FM, WFMP, LP, Louisville. World Theater Day in March. Starting a three-episode series on Asian-American literature with Charles Yu's 2020 screenplay novel, Interior Chinatown. Stay tuned. Goodman, host of Democracy Now! Greetings to all Democracy Now! listeners on Pacifica Affiliate Forward Radio 106.5 FM, WFMP LP in Louisville, Kentucky. This grassroots community radio station relies on volunteer power and your financial support to continue broadcasting the progressive, national, and homegrown local programming you've come to expect from Forward Radio. At a time when our public airwaves are being gobbled up by corporate interests, here's an open mic dedicated to local voices, civic engagement, and community empowerment. Please go to forwardradio.org and pledge your generous support today. Thank you so much. Welcome to episode 18 of Read and Succeed, celebrating World Theater Day this month in March, Greek theater being the first literature in the Western tradition. Reading and reviewing Taiwanese-American author and TV writer Charles Yu's absolutely brilliant 2020 screenplay novel, Interior Chinatown, winner of the 2020 National Book Award for Fiction. And with that review, kicking off a three-episode series on Read and Succeed, specifically on Asian-American literature, one of the most misunderstood and ascendant genres of American literature, no different than the Asian-American demographic itself in a three-episode series that will cover 2020 National Book Award winners in both Asian-American drama, poetry, and translated fiction. Many credible political analysts have predicted that the 21st century will be the Asian century, and we went read and succeed to keep you current on the groundbreaking letters in that area. Before the review, we have one piece of very important business. Not only has Read and Succeed turned one year old between episodes 17 and 18, and its host has turned 40 years old, but on April 10, 2021, Forward Radio, the low-power FM community radio station that hosts Read and Succeed in Louisville, Kentucky, will turn a very mature four years old. Having completed its transition from a community project to a fully formed and licensed nonprofit organization, to celebrate this auspicious occasion, Forward Radio will be holding a birthday pledge drive from March 27th to April 9th and a Zoom birthday talent show on April 10th. Consider making a donation to Community Radio during this pledge drive, and if you feel you have talents worthy of social or broadcast media, please consider applying for the talent show before the March 20th deadline. All participants will directly support Community Radio through their participation, and the winner of the talent show, chosen by the audience, will receive a $100 cash prize. Please visit forwardradio.org for more information, visit readandsucceed.net, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to us on YouTube. This is Read and Succeed. I'm Dave Campbell. The almost calligraphically named title of Charles Yu's Interior Chinatown is true to most Asian calligraphy, a repository of multiple and at times contradictory interpretations and meanings. It represents both place in the real and the imaginary, in both the internal and the external, in both the accepted and the rejected. In the case of the narrative of the text itself, it represents the socio-cultural constant where the novel's protagonist, Mr. Willis Wu, a thinly-veiled Charles Yu, constantly resides. Willis is American by birth, but Taiwanese by descent. 
living in an openly stereotyped Asian-American urban enclave, a quote-unquote Chinatown, in an openly stereotyped single-occupancy Asian-American apartment complex, over top of an openly stereotyped Asian-American restaurant called the Golden Palace, where Willis, an aspiring actor, dreams of rising above all the Asian-American stereotypes around him, both in his life and his career, to at least a modicum of cultural equity with mainstream American society, or, as Wu and you put it in some of the most finely crafted gallows humor, written since Andy Weir's 2011 classic The Martian, Wu wants to one day potentially graduate from being generic Asian man to maybe being Kung Fu man in a single lifetime. Even within the first pages of Interior Chinatown, it's clear to see the exact source of said stereotypes and the target of Charles Yu's iconoclasm, Hollywood, a place where Mr. Wu aspires to be accepted and the place where Mr. Yu actually works. The entirety of Interior Chinatown is written in the undisputed global medium of cultural stereotype the Hollywood screenplay, replete with courier font and stage direction, and with one racial or ethnic glass ceiling and cliché after another. The show that Willis Wu is currently starring in, both personally and professionally, the boundaries between the two realms are often only partially enforced, is an American cop drama called Black and White, with a handsome black male police officer as the lead opposite his beautiful white female deputy. Both work in the beat in a big city Chinatown somewhere, managing a canned cornball, competitive sexual tension between one another, and checking in with all the thoroughly stereotyped Asian extras on set for clues to help bag each episode's bad guy. Charles Yu, through the character of Willis Wu, uses this show within the show, another interpretation of the interior Chinatown, to explore the standard Asian American's relationship with America itself, and then uses the show outside the show, Willis's fictional life atop the Golden Palace, to show America how Asian Americans actually live and think. What emerges amid all the deliciously self-deprecating humor is a melancholically beautiful portrait of a racial and ethnic demographic in the United States that simply can't quite feel American, no matter how many generations it lays down. A demographic not defined in American society by its skin color, or its reproductive tract, but ultimately by the contours of its own face. A Pacific demographic that, while the black and white demographics of Atlantic origin play out their American love-hate relationship with each other in the front seat of a cop car, history books, or on the news every night, one that quietly helped build the modern United States rail tie by rail tie from the West moving East, and whose Asian countries of origin hosted three of the most devastating wars of the modern era, Pacific theater of World War II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam conflict killing nearly 40 million of their Asian kinsmen, and all predominantly at the hands of a predominantly white and black American military, and the only post-American Civil War racial demographic in the United States to be legally and partially enslaved, or at least interned, during this period. Adding socioeconomic insult to those socioeconomic injuries, the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s gave blacks, Hispanics, Native Americans, women, and members of the LGBT community louder voices that still resonate to this day, but the Asian American community was only given a constellation of cultural stereotypes of martial and culinary arts, above average intelligence, sexual sterility, and a monolithic collective-style community, despite being nearly 20 million people from over 30 different nations, that persist even at the writing of Interior Chinatown in 2020, and of which few, if any, Asian Americans find realistic. Whereas the white community self-defines by its quote-unquote white supremacy, and the black community self-defines by its quote-unquote black rage, the Asian American community, per Mr. Yu, simply lingers in a bittersweet, unchanging cultural limbo defined by neither a Hollywood-created Chinatown facade, a, quote, pretend version of the old country, end quote. 
The resolution in Interior Chinatown, while hopeful, is essentially racial and ethnic self-awareness. That America's Interior Chinatown will remain standing so long as Asian Americans leave it standing within themselves. This is Read and Succeed. I'm Dave Campbell. This next interview is a book talk that Charles Yu himself gave on Interior Chinatown at Page's Bookstore in Manhattan Beach, California in February of 2020. Wonderful, lively talk by Mr. Yu on the West Coast with many Asian Americans, including his own mother, in the audience. And common questions in the text being brought up by members of the audience. What does it mean to be Asian? What does it mean to be American? What does it mean to be an Asian American? And why do these two titles seem harder to reconcile than, say, Native American or African American? Special thanks to the Taiwanese American channel on YouTube for providing this content. Learn more about Pages Bookstore at pagesabookstore.com. Visit readandsucceed.net and enjoy this interview. This is Read and Succeed. I'm Dave Campbell. We are so, so pleased to have Charles Yu here today with us at Pages celebrating the publication of his latest novel, Interior Chinatown. Interior Chinatown is an amazing book and it is oh so relevant and more and more every day and every week. This is Charlie's fourth book. His previous works include Third Class Superhero, How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe, and Sorry Please Thank You. Um, in his other lives, Charlie is a corporate lawyer and a Hollywood screenwriter with credits including Westworld and Lodge 49. He's been named one of the best young writers in America by the National Book Foundation. Kirkus, which is from, for book people one of the best quoters out there, says that Interior Chinatown is an acid indictment of Asian stereotypes in a parable for outcasts feeling invisible in the fast-moving world. Charlie has been compared to literary greats such as George Saunders and has been championed by the likes of Richard Powers, <coughs> all of which support the praise for the literary chops of Charles Yu. I don't want to delve too deeply into the topic. I think I'll let you take it from here, but I'm very proud to introduce you to Charles Yu. Thank you. This is so exciting. Thanks everyone for coming. You know, this book is a little bit of a departure for me. I have written things that people call science fiction or speculative fiction that generally is um, put under the umbrella of, you know, I guess, um, n not serious literature, I guess. Um, and and I, I don't feel that way. I, I think there, there's an easy kind of categorization for that. But I've never felt that I was just a not just a science fiction writer. I never. I always felt that what I was really trying to do was tell stories, you know, that should ap appeal to people universally, um, that are from a very specific point of view. In my case, my parents are from Taiwan, so I was raised as a Taiwanese American. I'm a second generation, you know, depending on how you count it, I'm either a first or second generation American. My parents are naturalized Americans. Um, so I wrote these three books, and you know, as Linda said, I, I was working as a lawyer when I wrote those first three books. And when I started this book, I was still working as a lawyer. Um, a lot has changed in my life since I, since I started this book. Um, but I was really looking for um, a way to tell a story that felt like it was relevant to today, and felt like it was about both, you know, I, I was sort of looking around, saying, um, it, feeling like I hadn't yet told a complete story, you know? And my parents are, you know, have been here for over 50 years. And they are naturalized American citizens. You know, they've lived most of their lives here in America. Um, my kids are getting older. You know, they're, they're now 12 and 10. They are American citizens born to an American dad and mom. Um, and I think in some ways the inciting incident of what happened was I was trying to write a book about 
assimilation, what it means to be an American. And then the election happened, and suddenly I felt like it turned everything upside down for me. I felt like questions that I hadn't thought about in the same way became relevant in a different way. Um, and then at the same time, my kids, you know, then a bit younger, started to ask me questions. You know, like, basically my son was like, are we Asian? <laughs> like, I, I grew up in LA, right? So it's not something I had to think about a lot. And I did get to think about it, but mostly in a very positive, supportive way. Um, as someone who basically does, you know, I, I only speak one language, you know, despite my parents' best efforts, I don't really speak any other languages, and despite my own best efforts, um, it's hard to know what I'm passing on to my, my children. Like, wh what do they think they're going to be? What do they think they are? And so it's both sort of a huge, it, it, it hurt me, but also feels like an opportunity when, when my kids start to ask, well, are we fully American? You know, like, why, are, why is Asian the descriptor? Why, when we go to, and they, we live in Irvine now, so it, the school is mostly Asian. Like, it's not as if they don't see other Asians around. But they have, um, they have a real sort of um, question in front of them, which is, is this country for us in the same way it is for, a, for, for their white friends, to be honest? You know, do we, will we ever blend in? They're now three generations in, and um, so this, this book, in a way, is about that question, I think. And it's about the question of um, what does an American look like? And like, what is, you know, it really comes from my personal experience growing up in LA as an Asian American who internalized um, a lot of the stereotypes, who internalized all the TV shows and movies that I watched, and, and live in this kind of weird mental space where I'm both acutely aware of the fact that I don't totally belong, and yet I only have one home, which is this country. And I really only have one home, which is LA. So um, I, you know, that's a very long way of like sort of setting up the book in case you haven't read it. I um, don't know if there are any questions or if I've bored everyone. <laughs> um, but yes, I um, love to talk about it. Hi, that's Albert. Uh, why did you decide to write in a screenplay format? Is it just for the national subject and did you find any limitations to that? Yeah, yeah. so in case it's not clear and if you haven't seen it, um, the book is technically formatted as a screenplay. Um, and I did not do that just so it would be more easily adaptable for Hollywood. Um, <laughs> although, it wouldn't hurt, I guess. Um, I think this, this idea came to me because it felt like the metaphor was to play that it's it's about roles and it's not just about you know generic asian man as a role it's as you might have heard in the book a little bit it's about black and white you know it's about woman versus man it's about um the way that um specifically in the story it's the way that tv and film kind of tell us who we are even though we know that's not reality, we spend so much time absorbing the, that story. Um, it can't. We can't help but incorporate some of that. So, as I was, as I kind of stumbled on this as the form, I, ha I thought to myself, "Am I really going to write a whole book as a screenplay? Do people want to read that?" And I wrestled with it because I wasn't sure if people would want to look at this you know like it, it's in courier font it does, you know it's not as pretty as it should be 
Um, <laughs> um, but it felt like ultimately the form dictated. It, it had to be this, you know. In order to really do it, I had to just sort of commit to the bit and go all the way with it. So that's what I did. For those just joining us, this is a February 2020 interview with Asian American novelist Charles Yu at Page's Bookstore in Manhattan Beach, California, about his 2020 National Book Award winner for fiction, Interior Chinatown. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. Um, Chinatown, uh, it's uh, just like a ghetto, right? Yes. An enclosed community, and which will influence our our feeling of ourselves and our children's feeling of themselves, right? Exactly. And, but gradually, that kind of gadget should be break, should be broken through. Right? Yes. And this year, the Oscar, uh, this a Korean film, yeah, Paradise, Parasite, win such a big uh, award and win such a, so much attention. Do you think that that could indicate something in this community, that ghetto, that is changing? Or do you think it's just uh, one time? Right. Or, or is, could you see the trend that in the future our children will have more confidence, will be more like Asians, American, will have the chance to move to the center of the stage? Right. Could you comment? It's a great. Um, question that leads into a whole bunch of interesting things. I think, you know, um, it is a ghetto. The, the Chinatown in this book is not a physical Chinatown. It's a bit of an amalgam of a, you know, a few places. I did a little bit of research. I have been to Chinatown. I don't, I'm not an expert on Chinatown. I'm not a historian. I'm trying to tell a story. It is a mental place as much as it's a physical place in this book. And it is exactly what you said. Is it, It's the kind of ghetto, not just that I've been put in, but I think more than anything, as you read this book, what, what, what Willis, the character, realizes is he's put himself in this ghetto. And, I, and I, I think, just speaking personally, that's something that I've come to realize myself, is I carry as much baggage, if not more, you know, my, just on the interior, as has been imposed on me externally. I am as guilty of internalizing the stereotypes as, as I think the outside world has been um, I don't. I haven't lacked for opportunities. My parents have worked incredibly hard so that I could have um, basically access to almost anything that um, someone, you know, not born immigrants would have. So um, this is as much a journey about the mental ghetto as it is anything. Is will my kids? Will I do that to them? Will, will they feel like any sense of internalized difference, you know, or even inferiority because of me? Am I going to give them that? Um, and then you bring up Parasite, which is a great point. I think a couple of things on that. I think Parasite is a South Korean movie. It's not, it's an Asian story by an Asian director. It's, it was a, my favorite thing that I watched last year by far. It's not an Asian American story. And I think there's a crucial difference there. I think there's no question that there's a huge, for me anyway, a huge appetite for good stories, regardless of where they come from. This is proof, right? I mean, the Academy voted for it. People love that movie. I, I think that's really exciting, and it will have, to me, will have a spillover effect. Because regardless of whether or not people make the distinction of between Asian and American, it, it can't help to have, suddenly you're looking on stage and you're seeing 20 Asians on the stage. You know, it's just, it's, it's sort of an exciting thing, because you remember America is the place where that can happen. 
that was really inspiring to me. It's like, it's hard to imagine another country where they're like, they gave the award to people from a totally different country, you know, the biggest award. So that's really cool to me. I still think that there's room and the need for a specifically Asian American story that talks about, I mean, I'm not selling my book now, like, but I do think that um, as great as Parasite was, it wasn't about the issue of um, what happens to marginalized communities or people of color in America now that we're in a world where it feels like their status as Americans is being questioned. I think that's a different cluster of challenges and questions for me. Uh, I don't know if you studied the history of the discrimination here in Los Angeles. My uh, cousin Delbert Wong was the first one to buy a house in Silver Lake, really? and they wouldn't let mm -hmm. him buy it because he was Chinese, mm -hmm. and he sued the, the real estate company and won the case. He also became the first Chinese-American to be a Superior Court judge in the United States. But there was a stereotype back in the after World War II where the Chinese could only could live in Monterey Park, Alhambra, or Hacienda Heights, and it took a while into the Vietnam War, where all of a sudden the Chinese could start living in other parts of LA. What uh, year did he buy that house? Um, 51 or 52. And did he graduated from Stanford after World War II. He served in World War II, went to Stanford, passed the law school, and then bought this first house. <laughs> and did he yeah. win the lawsuit? What? <laughs> did, he, did he win the Yeah, lawsuit? yeah, he won the lawsuit. Yeah, I did a little bit of, the, a little bit of research <laughs> in this, and um, it was alarming to find out how recent those laws, the restrictive covenants and other sort of zoning things were still legal. Um, and even beyond that, I think there was a practical effect of they just, even if it was illegal to discriminate, the landlord wouldn't rent to you or the seller right. wouldn't sell to you. Um, it's part of the idea between, in calling this interior Chinatown, is it is a mental ghetto, it's also a physical ghetto, right? You literally, um, uh, forced a very, you know, physiologically distinct population into little zones and held them apart. And so you have this situation where everybody's been to Chinese restaurant. It feels like an American thing to be in a Chinese restaurant the way it's described here. And yet it's this little island of difference within a larger community. And so that was one of the things, I mean, to your point, that I, I do try to wrestle with in the book is, is how much of it is about the law, you know, and um, the law has been used as a weapon against, and then, you know, and then as progress happens, slowly kind of opens the door to go the other way, but it was as much uh, holding, holding marginalized communities down as it was helping, you know, enforce any kind of equality, so um, all of which is to say, yeah, it's, it's something that I definitely was conscious of in writing the book. For those just joining us, this is a February 2020 interview with Asian American novelist Charles Yu at Page's Bookstore in Manhattan Beach, California, about his 2020 National Book Award winner for fiction, Interior Chinatown. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. Um, have you children read your book yet? Because when you just read it, it sounds like a good bedtime story. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I think <laughs> <laughs> it felt like a backhanded compliment, but I think um, <laughs> I, I'm not the greatest. Yeah, at, at reading to them, I try to do it. Um, they like reading, so I listen to them. But they have not read this yet. Um, I want them to, and they're very excited. I just um, 
have been doing this sort of thing. So I think we're going to read it soon. <laughs> have you been inspired by other Asian American authors? Who are they? Um, yes, I mean, a lot. <laughs> I, Not I think, to put you on the spot. Or no, no. Viet <laughs> um, Nguyen's book, The Sympathizer, was, I thought, you know, brilliant so. and powerful. And um, so um, it felt like, I don't know how to say this, formerly adventure. It just felt like he, he did things that I, that sort of made me realize, oh, this is possible. You know, you can tell a story and people will follow you into such an incredible story. Um, I, you know, that, that's who comes to mind right now. I mean, yeah, definitely over the years I, I have been inspired. Um, I recently had an event in Brooklyn with Celeste Aim, who's this huge blockbuster seller, so it's like, yes, um, she's a great writer. I think what's fascinating about Celeste is she's an incredible storyteller, and yet the first thing you think about when you think of Celeste is not necessarily that she's an Asian American. She's telling stories. Her, her, the Hulu series based on her second book is about to premiere, I think, pretty soon, so um, that'll be... I think even more sort of a platform for her stories, um, but I think that's to me like a real sign of progress that there's somebody who's just telling stories happens to be an Asian American, but the subject matter and the whole angle about here's an Asian American writer is is not so much present. That's also a function of when you sell like a jillion books, <laughs> you're just a you're just a blockbuster author, which is pretty awesome too. So. Do you think you can be prolific, and do you have a lot more on your, <laughs> uh, on your notes? Yeah. I would try to be faster, for sure. Do <laughs> we have to wait are, seven years? No, I hope not. Um, for my kids' sake, I hope not, too. They basically grew up like not believing I did anything. There's like, Daddy just goes in that room and gets real mad, and then comes out and eats dinner. <laughs> and then we watch TV and go to sleep, and that's basically what happens. So, I would like to be faster. I think this book, for a lot of reasons, was hard to write. Um, and I'm hoping now that it's a clear the decks, it'll <laughs> it won't be seven years. So, fingers crossed. Hi. Did you feel, um, having written science fiction, speculative fiction books, did you feel that you were kind of put in a in that particular box as an author, and was it hard to? write more of a, of a novel that was not necessarily in those genres? A little bit. I think I put myself a little bit in the box, just wondering, will people follow me from this to that? You know, to the extent I had established, like, I had people that had liked my work, you know, would they go, oh, what is this, you know? Um, and I think it's interesting, you know, maybe Linda would have thoughts of this, but I wonder too, like, do people not have, you know, when I haven't even had sort of like, so many books that people go, okay, this is clearly a departure, but I'm willing to go follow this person into this. Where it's still like, you hope that you're building the readership. I wonder if booksellers or other people involved in the industry would say, well, you really should have stuck to, you know, a thing where stay in your lane. But ultimately, the, you know, both my publisher and all the people I've met, booksellers included, they, they just want, I think, just want the best story you can tell. They want you to write from an authentic place. So I didn't, I don't have the luxury, I, this took seven years, I don't have the luxury of like saying, I'll just wait for the next one, you know? Like this, this was gonna get published one way or another, so.
For those just joining us, this is a February 2020 interview with Asian American novelist Charles Yu at Page's Bookstore in Manhattan Beach, California, about his 2020 National Book Award winner for fiction, Interior Chinatown. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. Yes. I have been uh, paying tax in this country for 50 years. And finally, this year, I think I'm American. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Because you know why the Ted Liu, the congressman, yes. mm-hmm. he said, you Taiwanese never think you are American. Why? <laughs> he said, she said, all the Europeans, they come to this country, they all become American. Mm-hmm. Why you from Taiwan always think you are a foreigner? Mm-hmm. So that made me think. So I finally, this year, I say I'm American. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, I'm from Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Taiwan, I like to call that Formosa. Actually, Taiwan is different from Chinese. Mm -hmm. They're Asian, they're Asian, but we are not. We are Pacific Islander. (laughs) 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 I finally think about this. Yeah. After I practice anesthesia, I was in that operating room every day for 50 years. <laughs> now I am retired, and finally I can think, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm Taiwan, I'm American. <laughs> I paid 50 years tax yeah. in this country. You're at least and then when you are saying uh, Asian, Chinatown or something, right. I say, no. I'm Formosa. Yeah. I'm Pacific Islander. I'm not. Dif- I'm different from them. Why you include me into Asia? Well, they say everyone has a book. I think you have more than one I book. <laughs> That's what I, I try to tell you. Uh, your book give me a lot of stimulation, and, and I, I'm 80 now, and I finally I think I'm American. <laughs> I want you to know that I now put on my applications when they ask what I am. I am Maltese American. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good company. Yeah. I am Maltese American, but my hair is different. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just curious from a writing standpoint. Um, you know, sometimes I come up against the fact that you said you, know, you want to be uh, aware of your own prejudices because certainly as a woman too, you know, it's very easy to fall into stereotypes yourself. Right. But then there are certain things like, like for instance, looking at movies since you work in TV, you know, like Hustlers. Well, some people saw it and they're like, oh, this is just exploiting women for sex to tell a story. But it's true that there are women who do exploit sex and for a living. And to me, I looked at the movie as something about <coughs> female friendship and as about, um, you know, uh, these women who had their own agency. Um, And it's true that Kung Fu does come from China and geisha culture comes from Japan. There are certain things that are stereotyped as Asian that that come from Asia. Um, So I'm just wondering as a writer how when you approach things, you're able to honor those things without stereotyping. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, (coughs) I think it's coming, for me, it's coming from a place where I have to just assume there's a blind spot. And by definition, I don't know what, I, what my blind spot is. I just 
go in knowing I'm probably not going to be speaking. I, I can't be speaking for everyone. The best I can do is speak for myself. And so that's hard enough. And then um, really trusting my editor and my agent, you know, um, who are the people that read it before to say, yeah, you're, you know, here's, here are your blind spots. I think that's part of it. I think to specifically to your question, it's, it's being, to me, it's being okay with contradiction. It's being okay with saying, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to say one thing and then other parts you might say, but this feels like he's, um, he's trying to have it both ways. And I think that's okay. I think like that's what I'm going through as like, in, as child of immigrants, as a dad, as a husband who's trying to understand and be a good husband to his wife, all of those things, I, I'm frequently wrong as I'm reminded by my kids. You know what I mean? Like I'm wrong all the time. And um, I'm okay with that. That's basically the short answer. I hope I'm, I hope the book makes sense, but it's certainly not going to be anything more than one person's, you know, attempt to make sense of a, a life and a journey of, of these characters. Thanks for the question. For those just joining us, this is a February 2020 interview with Asian American novelist Charles Yu at Page's Bookstore in Manhattan Beach, California, about his 2020 National Book Award winner for fiction, Interior Chinatown. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. Oh, yes. I, I understand you went to UC Berkeley, and I did as well. I just thought, well, first of all, I want to say I love the book. It's the, my favorite book of the year so far, and I just mm-hmm. wanted to congratulate you on such a quick read for me. Um, I understand you went to Berkeley, as did I, and I, was, I couldn't help but notice that there was a strong resemblance between your story and the story that Asian American professors, Asian American, specifically Asian American uh, <coughs> history professors were were kind of teaching at Berkeley, and I was wondering, A, whether you um, were influenced by, did you ever take a class in Asian American studies? I took one. Um, and also, and thank you for bringing to light the story that's been told for generations, but bringing it into the mainstream. I thought it was that was very powerful that you were able to bring the story to the mainstream. And my second part question uh, is, how big was the SRO, SRO room? I kind of, when I think of SRO, I think of a single occupancy, and I was wondering if it was like a two-bedroom or one-bedroom? Sorry. Um, yes, thanks. I, I did take a class there. I think I was influenced by the idea of the perpetual foreigner. You know, the, and as specifically has been applied to Asians and Asian Americans. Um, that was a kind of key concept that um, has been around for a long time, and this is just another sort of el- elaboration on that idea in, in narrative form. Um, the SRO, I imagine, is pretty small. You know, I was thinking... Uh, no more than ten by ten. It's it's a it's a it's a tight, cramped thing. I, I think people um, there's you know there's a long history of you know Chinese Americans living in those from from for for a long time you know, in America. Not just in America, <coughs> those, those kinds of buildings exist um, elsewhere too. But um, the idea is that they're really trapped in these kind of sort of small spaces. You don't have a lot of room, and so you that does things to your, I think, psyche. <clears throat> I The only experience I have is that I lived in an SRO <laughs> in law school. I mean, it was a nice one, I guess, but not really. It was, you know, it was pretty gross, actually. So um, uh, it, that's completely different from what these characters are living. You know, I, I lived there going to law school, yeah. knowing that I had opportunity. 
but um, it certainly is a weird thing to share a bathroom with 10 strangers. That's not fun. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, that's, that's sort of my, that's all I got. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Wait, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. <coughs> you talk about uh, self-imposed isolation or yeah. stereotyping. And uh, which makes me think that, you know, the way that Dr. Uh, Chen was talking about, that why Asian, Asian immigrants, you know, don't feel that we are American. I think there are two factors, but because by law, we are all American citizens. Right. So we should be entitled and feel that we are American. But somehow, you know, on the cultural aspects, you know, somehow, you know, we are not quite American. Right. So is this some, is a, some sort of, you know, self-isolation or self-stereotyping? And then my, you know, John, my, my son, yes. uh, just as a baby, he's four months now. Yeah. So he, he made me this, uh, this hat, which is written in Taiwanese. He says, hey, you know, hey, Dad, don't talk English to my son. Mm. Okay, my son was born, born here. Okay, uh, I, I came here in 1977, so I'm here 43 years. So he, he told me, hey, don't, don't say, talk, talk to my son in English. And he also asked, her mother-in-law <coughs> don't talk English you know, to, to her son, you know, talk Cantonese only. So as a, an, an activist, you know, language, you know, presentation activist, I start to, to debate myself. You know, first of all, I'm, I don't know why my son asked me, you know, on the positive side, okay, he wanted to preserve his son's identity. Because he feel that the identity is so strong, you know, to, so important to, to, to himself. And uh, on the other hand, you know, I ask myself, you know, is it a kind of self, you know, stereotyping, or that prevent my grandson to be, uh, you know, assimilated, you know, into the mainstream, so-called mainstream society? Yeah. So I'm asking, you know, the question: What is America? Right. So. Later, I've been thinking about all of this uh, you know, cultural DNA, you know, this kind of concept. Because, you know, as a oppressed people, you know, for, for, for my generation, you know, we are oppressed by martial law in Taiwan for 38 years old. So, you know, we come to United States, but still some sort of those, uh, although the law is gone, but, you know, somehow the cultural, you know, the, those cultural, you know, disadvantage is still there. So I think it's not only me, you know, maybe many Chinese American in my generation, we will be thinking that, well, maybe, you know, we suffer for this generation, but for our next generation, you want them to be both mainstream yeah. so that they can have a better life. Right. So what do you think of, you know, this type of, you know, yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm the same generation as John, and so um, I can say this. There's a, a, there's a feeling of, for me anyway, failure, that I can't teach my kids language. I can barely teach them anything about history, but I, I can, thanks to my parents and people like you and other people in the room who have given me that. At least I, I have a, a sense of what Taiwanese history is and what it meant for this generation to come. But there's a sense in which I very much know that I'm not passing on much to them in that way. You know, hopefully I'll pass on other things, what it means to be a good person, 
you know, what it means to be an American. I, I, other things, you know, look both ways before you cross the street, you know. Um, so I, but I feel like for, for this gender, for me as a dad, I feel like a real sense of precariousness. I don't, I feel like if I get it wrong, something might be lost that's not going to come back. And it's clinging, like, that's why I always make sure that, you know, I bring the kids home to see my parents a lot. I mean, among other reasons, I want to see them too, but it's, it's feeling, they have connection to the thing, because standing in this generation, you very much feel like a bridge that's just a very thin thread between people that were not born in this country and people that will really, my kids, will never know anything but this country, most likely. And, um, I, I'm like, I, I'm not up to that task, but I'm trying real hard to, like, do what I can to like hold both sides. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I if I had answers, and I wouldn't have written the book. I would have just like said answers to people. But I think this book, even after writing it, I think it just raises all the questions you're asking. I think that's really what this book is about: is 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 wrestling with all of that and having this conversation and saying, is there something specifically about Asian Americans that makes it harder to assimilate, or or isn't but, or isn't the American dream that literally you can have anything hyphen American, and that's the exact point, is that that's what America was supposed to be, is put something in front of American, and it's exactly the same as American, because that's what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, that's the dream, but it does, you know, the reality is different. So, For those just joining us, this is a February 2020 interview with Asian American novelist Charles Yu at Page's Bookstore in Manhattan Beach, California, about his 2020 National Book Award winner for fiction, Interior Chinatown. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. Yes, mom. I need one. I think this is uh, better understanding. As long as you feel you're American, we're American. Maybe that's why I, the action you're taking or whatever. And your superintendent, former superintendent, your former principal, they're all here. And she uh, becomes a woman who's here. Yeah. So this community, I think, do this, maybe more like people like you, uh, start writing more about their story. Maybe that will change to the better society. So if you feel like you're American, then you do something with America. Yeah. You do return to the American society. Yeah. Don't just take it a privilege, mm-hmm. not return to the US. Mm-hmm. One thing as a mother, I have one question. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I think we're running out of time. Before <laughs> that, <laughs> how in the world you want to be a writer since uh, you're little? Well, I still don't understand. Just <laughs> 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 one question. That's, <laughs> she called me up and said, why is it one daddy? You probably heard that question. Because a lot of people hear about the, uh, the, the, the superintendent wife and superintendent yeah. and the principal, you know, they all say, hey, this is no. Charlie, you know? Since we were little, we saw him. Yeah. All of a sudden, he is a novelist. Yeah. Couldn't figure out, you know. This is turning into like an anxiety nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> let me try and change the subject. Um, in, in talking about different genres of literature, have you thought about writing children's, a children's book? Um, I have thought about it. I would love to someday. I haven't found it, but 
Um, do you, I mean, what, is there a specific, you, you mean <laughs> just because it's a great thing to do? Or? Well, all of a sudden I was just thinking while you were talking about, you know, science fiction and then this, and I'm thinking maybe yeah. you might want to think about that. Because uh, kids yeah. learn from books, and it, books can be an adventure for kids, and they get to know people who have different life experiences than they do, and I would love to. I mean, I, I, one of my favorite things is reading with my kids, and um, now get, they're old enough that I can even talk about them with what it's like to be a writer, and I think it's only a matter of time before they start to try to write things. I'm not saying they'll be writers, but I think they will, because of school especially, they'll have to start writing things, and, um, and yeah, that would be a dream. I would love to, to try to do that. Um, so if anyone has any ideas. <laughs> um, I... I mean, to answer my mom's question, I, just so, just to say it, I feel like it's probably something, like, I feel like my dad was probably a philosopher in a, in a previous life, he's a very deep thinker. My mom has a very, uh, my mom has like a very um, passionate heart. And so I think the combination of those two things, um, not that need, the other, they both have both of those things, but that's where I get some, some version of that. Um, and also, I just didn't like playing outside. <laughs> so, <laughs> watched a lot of TV. Now I'm a TV writer. Joanna? Hi. Where the, the Lissa's mom tells him, you know, he wants to become Fugat. And he's like, it's the top of the, that's the, that's the best he can be, he thinks. And he's like, what else am I supposed to be? And she says, be more. And I think, you know, to me, that, um, that tells a sort of universal story. I mean, who hasn't wanted to be more and who hasn't talked to their parents and had their dreams and wanted to carry their dreams forward for them? So, two words, that's, that's the best. <laughs> For those just joining us, this is a February 2020 interview with Asian American novelist Charles Yu at Page's Bookstore in Manhattan Beach, California, about his 2020 National Book Award winner for fiction, Interior Chinatown. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. Yes. I have another question that yes. uh, this goes back to my, my history. My grandmother was born in Bakersfield, California in 1884. She was not allowed to go to high school or any public schools at all. She only spoke Cantonese, never spoke English in her entire life. She died in 1954. But anyhow, she brought Taoism as a religion to my mom and all her kids. She had eight kids all together. And one of the things I found as a problem for me growing up in Bakersfield was the fact that we didn't integrate with the churches or any of the religious churches in Bakersfield. And finally, when I started going to high school, I would joined the congregation church so I could play on their baseball team. And that all of a sudden got me, you know, to be one of the people, you know, one of the Americans. Yeah. But it took a while, you know. And uh, I think that's one of the problems the Chinese had here in America is that we didn't integrate into any of the Catholic churches or any of the uh, religions here in the United States. And then I think that, that brought a, a part of the problem, as I say, in integrating into being an American. Yeah, you bring up a couple of really interesting points. One, my wife is, depending on how you count it, she's Cantonese, she, or she, she's from, she's Chinese-American, she's, the, her ancestors came from Canton, and so she 
is on one side basically fifth generation. So her family has been here a really long time. Both yeah. of her grandfathers fought in World War II for the United States. You yeah, know, like that's so how long she's been here. Yeah. Um, or her family's been here. And at the same time, she was raised, um, a lot of her childhood spent in Oakland Chinatown with her grandmother speaking only Cantonese. Um, we're speaking Toisan, which is, you know, a local yeah. dialect. And so um, that's an example of what you're talking about. A family has been here that long, and yet basically still living in a very small, tight ethnic enclave. Um, I love I love this idea that you were playing baseball, and that's the, the thing. I mean, it just it could that seemed very cinematic. I feel like somebody should make a movie about that. That's cool. yes. So, do you think that the next thing that you write will be a book or for the screen? Because mm -hmm. um, I know you've done television writing as as your brother. I mean, hopefully you guys are okay with each other's success <laughs> and all. Um, but um, or are you? You, the better question, or the bigger question, is: Are you still at the law firm? No, okay. <laughs> uh, no. I I, uh, I stopped working as a lawyer when I um, started writing for TV. So that became that was 2014. So it's been about five years, and uh, it's weird. It's still a little weird. I don't feel like it's totally. It weird. sounded like it was just last week in a way, and I'm like, how's he able to do that? And things yeah. Westworld and all that, but so, but do you? Yeah. Think you'll write a, a book next, or keep writing, or do them concurrently? I think concurrently. I think um, the reality is the TV stuff is what pays the bills, right. and uh, and I'm very grateful for that. And I and I do like it, but I, you know, a job that you get a paycheck every seven years is not too sustainable <laughs> unless it's a very large paycheck. Unfortunately, we're not quite there yet. But um, yeah. Yes. Okay. I, I just caught your chronology. You started writing this book seven years ago, and you started writing for TV five years ago. Yes. So writing TV must have changed this book in some way. Yeah. Because it's not a TV show. So. I think it gave me like not permission, but I felt like I could at least give it a shot. That I knew enough, and at least that the formatting would be somewhat correct. You know, <laughs> in terms of the screenplay. But I think more than anything, I just yeah, I was steeped in the TV world. Yeah. My question was about that TV world. Yes. Um, Lodge 49 is kind of a cult yes. show, and it seemed so promising, a little slice of SoCal that you don't usually see. And I was very curious whether that role was something that you were expected to represent your culture, particularly when the show first started. Yeah. I saw these characters with great actors who were the, um, I think, Vietnamese yes. donut shop owners. And I thought, this is fantastic. They're going to really do something with these characters. They're the actors are great. They're such interesting characters. They're going to be part of the surfing story. They're going to be part of the adventure. And then there was nothing. Yeah. And all it just stopped there. And I thought, what happened? It was yeah. like a big disappointment in an otherwise great show. So I'm wondering, <laughs> when you're in that kind of a writer's room, yeah. are you expected to write about what you call the average American? experience or whatever, or are you expected to represent the Asian American experience? Uh, not so, I mean, I have never been specifically put in the position where they said, you can only do this. I mean, I certainly, on the positive side, I think people have looked to me, and sometimes that feels weird, because it's like, well, I don't want to, I'm not the voice of Asian America, like, you <laughs> need a better voice for that, and also, like, it's, that, that would be... You know, I have a very specific experience, and it's 
however many, 17 million or, you know, however many Asian Americans there are in, from 30 countries, you know? Um, so I think I've been lucky enough to work in rooms where it's much more sort of nuanced than that. Um, Good. <laughs> I, yeah, no. Good it, but and yet at the same time, it does feel like sometimes there's an opportunity to say, well, if we are trying to inform this story, can you make sure we're not, you know, getting into a place where we're writing from uh, just, you know, ignorance or from a place of insensitivity. Like, tr if you do have cultural sort of knowledge, it, it can be of help. So it, it is a tricky thing because you don't want to feel like you're the Asian in the room. And I have been o the only Asian in the room in pretty much every room I've been in, writer's room. Um, but yeah, mostly I'm, I think, more than the agent in the room, I've been the book guy. I'm like Ooh. the novelist in the room. So they, they're just like, there's the novelist, you know? <laughs> like, um, yeah. For those just joining us, this is a February 2020 interview with Asian American novelist Charles Yu at Page's Bookstore in Manhattan Beach, California, about his 2020 National Book Award winner for fiction, Interior Chinatown. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. Yes. Um. I'd like to read a small passage and then ask a question based off that passage, passage, if that's okay. Okay, so anyone has to put on page 21. It says that they'd also, in the way old people often do, slip gently into poverty, also without anyone noticing. That's one of my favorite passages in the novel. Um, and in that passage, there's a feeling of great melancholy. And I'd like to ask how you reconcile feelings of Asian American melancholia with the rewards of assimilation? Mm. That's a good question. <laughs> yes, that is. I feel like um, maybe not smart enough to answer that question. <laughs> um, Asian American melancholy. I mean, I, in college I wrote a bunch of poems at Berkeley. I wrote a bunch of poems that you could best describe as like shades of melancholy. <laughs> is there something about, um, you know, from my parents or from some other cultural influence that has carried that tone into my writing. I've also heard from a lot of people on Goodreads that my books tend to be pretty sad. <laughs> um, I think that's definitely a flavor of, for better or worse, of like the stuff that I, I write. Um, squaring it with assimilation, I think, you know, both through my own personal experience, my family's experience, and other families and people in the community that I know, there's, there's a sense in which success can carry with it a feeling that you're getting further away from, not home, but that you are somehow losing touch with the original, I don't know. It's, it's, it's pulling you away in a way because success means becoming more this place and less of what you were born. And yet that is true success at the same time. So there's a kind of bittersweetness maybe. I think in terms of the you know, in terms of money and economics, I think there's, I wanted to write specifically about the fact that, yes, Asian Americans are frequently portrayed in the media as doing well economically, but that is just one slice of the Asian American community. There's certainly plenty of Asian Americans aren't doing well financially, so I wanted, one, to have characters that are struggling, because I think that's, one, that's a part of, you know, almost any immigrant story you hear, unless they literally came over already wealthy, they struggled at some point. And I think there's a kind of feeling that of precariousness with, if you've made it here by yourself, that you could lose it too. 
You know, it's different if you had to come here with nothing and you built it yourself and you still don't necessarily feel like you're ever fully accepted, that it could be taken away much more quickly. And so I think there's a sense in which there's stress and uh, an anxiety about whether or not, even if you've accomplished, you know, living in a nice place, can you just lose it all? And, and will it always stay good? Or, or is there kind of a third act to it where America changes and all of a sudden it's not so good? For those just joining us, this is a February 2020 interview with Asian American novelist Charles Yu at Page's Bookstore in Manhattan Beach, California, about his 2020 National Book Award winner for fiction, Interior Chinatown. To listen to this entire interview, please visit readandsucceed.net. Can we do one more question? Yeah, do one more and then... Hi, yes. Uh, okay, so you touch on in this book um, a little bit, and I'd like to hear you talk more about, like, um mixed race Asian identity, especially with the main female character in the book, right. uh, and how that interacts with stereotypes and the fact that there like aren't that many stereotypes to go off of. Yeah. Yes. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, for the, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I wanted to tackle a couple, or I was interested in a couple of things with that character. I mean, I was interested in the difference between the Asian American male experience and the Asian American female experience. Um, my wife and I talk about it all the time. Um, I think it's very different. I think it's not symmetrical at all for, for a number of reasons. But um, And I, so I wanted someone to have that perspective. I also wanted someone to call Willis out on his own blind spot, you know, that he's got certain kinds of privilege or he has certain kinds of biases that he doesn't realize he's carrying. Um, it, it, there's a sense. In which, to me, in which like the mixed race character Karen is able to be anything, she's she can play ethnically ambiguous. So that was that was my main idea with that role. Was that um, it's different if you look like this. There's no question, sort of, what your your ethnic heritage is, whether or not you're assimilated or not, um, and versus when you walk into a room and people are like. Mediterranean, like I don't, you know, and so um, I think that's a different space to occupy that probably carries its own anxieties and carries its own pluses and minuses is my guess. So I, without having any personal experience, I wanted to have, you know, a way of talking about that story. Well, thank you. I, uh that's it for episode 18 of Read and Succeed. Join us for episode 19, reviewing 2020 National Book Award winner for poetry, DMZ Colony, by Korean-American poet Don Mi Choi. Asian-American Studies, next three episodes. This is Read and Succeed. I'm Dave Campbell. Thanks for listening.